amongst us here? It's great to see everybody this morning. This is our first week of Advent. And traditionally at Cedar Ridge, we use this week to tell the Christmas story using interactive stations. So I'm going to do that um, in just a moment. Um, but before that, I want to introduce our theme for this Advent. Um, over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at some Christmas traditions. And we're going to look at, well, why do we have them? What do they mean? And most importantly, how do they help us to think more about Jesus over this holiday season? And this week, as uh, Wesley mentioned, we are going to be looking at Christmas trees and about evergreens in general. Now, but Christmas trees, I mean, why on earth would you dig up a tree or cut down a tree and go put it in your home and put lights on it and, and decorations on it? It seems like a weird thing to do, really, when you think about it. Well, the reasons for the Christmas tree stretch back a long, long way, long before there even was a Christmas. About 3,000 years um, before Jesus was born, ancient Egyptians worshipped the sun god called Ra. And they believed that winter was caused by Ra falling ill. And so he got weak and he couldn't make the sunshine. And um, it got colder and darker. And at the winter solstice, which is the shortest day, uh, Egyptians would fill their homes with leaves from the date palm, which is an evergreen. So it was always healthy and green all year long. And these leaves would symbolize that Ra was going to recover, triumph over death, and the days would start to get warmer and longer again. And then beginning about a thousand years later, Celtic Druids developed beliefs about the power of certain evergreen plants, particularly holly and mistletoe. In ancient England, for example, People thought that witches would uh, walk along the top of the trees and holly trees, therefore, were very important because as the witches walked along the top of the trees, they would get their feet prickled and so they wouldn't be able to come near you. That was a very silly thing to think, wasn't it, really, when you think about that. Um, even if there were witches, which I doubt, um, and even if they walked on top of trees, which seems a little crazy to me, holly trees actually, you might not know this, are not prickly at the top. The leaves at the bottom are very prickly where the animals eat them, but they get smoother and smoother as they go. And actually at the top of a, of a, a taller uh, holly tree, they're actually smooth. So, but anyway, that's what they believed. Um, and Druids also believed that holly trees protected you from lightning strikes. So it was considered very unlucky to cut down holly. And as part of the Celtic uh, tradition, as you can see here, um, there was a story about two kings. They were brothers and they were locked in this endless battle. The oak king, which is on the left, uh, represents summer and light. And his brother, the holly king on the right, represents winter and darkness. And in the middle of summer, the holly king would defeat the oak king. And uh, so he would have control over the world and he would start making the days colder and shorter. And then in the middle of winter, uh, the Oak King would come back and he'd defeat the Holly King. And then the days would start getting longer and warmer again. And so Holly and mistletoe became very important to the Druids. Holly for the Holly King. And uh, mistletoe is uh, something that grows in the high branches of the Oak tree in, in certain countries. Um, and, and so that represented the Oak King. And it's thought that the uh, some of our imagery around Santa Claus actually comes from the Holly King. He was always thought to be in red uh, with, ho with holly in his hat, and he drove a team of eight deer. So we think some of that probably came through into our, into our theories about Santa Claus. 
Well, if we fast forward about five to around 500 years before Jesus was born, uh, we find that the Romans uh, celebrated Saturnalia, uh, Saturnalia or the feast of Saturn, which was the god of agriculture. And the celebration lasted a week from December 17th to the 24th. And then December 25th would be the winter solstice. They, that's when they celebrated the shortest day. And um, again, holly and ivy, two evergreen plants, were very important in Saturnalia. They represented life and vitality, and people would cut down. Uh, you can see it here, pictured here. They'd cut down pieces, and they'd put it in their temples and in their homes, and they would feast. They would sing. They would light candles. They'd play games. No one would go to work. There'd be no school, and they'd give gifts to one another. So you can see all of these kind of feature in it have come into our celebration of Christmas. Jumping forward again to about 400 years after Jesus was born, we find Scandinavians celebrating the festival of Yule, another holiday to mark the winter solstice, the shortest day. And that had roots in ancient Norse culture, so Viking culture. It was all about light and warmth in the depth of winter. People would light fires, particularly a Yule log, which was a huge tree they'd cut down and they'd keep it burning throughout the festivities. And in these cold countries, most cattle was actually slaughtered because they couldn't have, they didn't have enough hay and straw and other things to feed them. So they would kill them. So there was plenty of meat uh, during the winter, or at least the first half of winter, for, for uh, feasting and for sacrifices to the gods, as well as to sacrifices to elves. And people in Scandinavia would leave out uh, food in their homes for the house elves. And they would also uproot a tree, put it near their home or in the entrance to their home, and they would leave uh, food on it for the birds. Well, by the 9th and 10th centuries, Yule had become a celebration of Christmas throughout Northern Europe. And you can see how some of those traditions, right, actually became part of Christmas. People still leave out uh, food in Scandinavia, but not for the house elves now. They leave it out for the Yule elf, which is what uh, some countries call Santa Claus. And over time, instead of just putting out food for the birds on a tree, they started decorating their Yule trees with apples and wafers. Apples and wafers, that kind of probably sounds like a weird thing to decorate your tree with, right? But that was because from the 10th century onwards, December 24th was the feast day of Adam and Eve. Got the next one. Um, and that was a story at a time when people would go to church and they'd hear the story of Adam and Eve disobeying God in the Garden of Eden and God promising to send a savior. And if you remember that story, there's also a tree in that story. Um, it didn't really have apples on, but people often imagined it having apples on. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, or sometimes called the paradise tree. So the apples on Christmas trees represented the forbidden fruit that uh, Adam and Eve are said to have eaten. And the wafers, which later were uh, changed for cookies and people would hand cookies on their tree, um, they represented the promise of a savior who would make everything right again. By the 16th century, Germans, particularly Lutherans, uh, would generally bring an evergreen tree into their home as a symbol of eternal life and the victory of life over death. And over time, these uh, trees became more elaborate. Candles were added. Uh, reputedly, the, the uh, first candles were put on by Martin Luther. I don't think we really know that that's a fact, but he gets the credit for that. He wanted it to look like starlight coming through the pine trees. And a bit later, people started hanging little figures of, of, Adam, uh, of uh, Mary and Joseph and other characters from the Christmas story on the tree. 
And the Germans brought their Christmas tree tradition uh, with them to the New World, to, hit, to America. And Christmas trees were seen in uh, settlements in Pennsylvania as early as 1747. But the tradition didn't catch on. Uh, everybody else thought it was kind of a silly thing to do. What are you doing with those Christmas trees? Um, and so uh, people, people didn't do that. They didn't want to cut down a tree and put candles and little figures on it. Um, they thought it was weird. But then in 1846, British Queen Victoria and her German husband, Prince Albert, were sketched in a news magazine, the Illustrated London News, standing with their children, as you can see, under a Christmas tree. And that's decorated with toys and gifts and candles, popcorn strings, candies and fancy cakes and paper chains. And so people thought, wow, this is trendy, right? The Queen's doing it. We want to do that, too. And Christmas trees became very fashionable, not just in Britain, but also with wealthy people here on the East Coast of America. And everybody wanted a Christmas tree, so much so that by 1890, so it's not very much later, the department store Woolworths was sent selling $25 million worth of Christmas tree ornaments a year, which back then was a phenomenal amount of money. So this is a tradition that just spread like wildfire. Well, that's the story of the Christmas tree. It represents life and vitality. If you want to put the next, next slide, uh, victory over death, protection from evil, light in the darkness, hope for a savior, and so on. Personally, um, I think uh, it's fascinating that so many different cultures over a period of thousands of years have found such inspiration in evergreen, evergreen plants and trees. It reminds me of a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter three that says that God has put eternity in our hearts. There's something inside us as human beings that senses there's more to life than the everyday things that we see and do. We look at or we smell or touch evergreens or trees or sunsets or starry skies, and we see hints that there is something more to life. We catch glimpses of God. God put eternity in our hearts. It's like that there's something that is perhaps missing without God, something on the inside that feels empty maybe that we want to fill. And the apostle Paul said that that something that is missing is the love of Christ, the love we see in Jesus, the love of God. He wrote in Ephesians, Christ's love is greater than any person can ever know, but I pray that you will be able to know that love. And then you can be filled with the fullness of God. So now we are going to explore the story of that love being born into our world in a special way in Jesus. And we're going to use the imagery of trees and evergreens to help our imagination, just as people have done for thousands of years. So we have a number of different stations around the room. We have eight stations. Um, and uh, to guide you around those, we have uh, these flyers. So they are on the back tables right there on the corners, just by the exits. If you can grab one of those, you can take these stations in any order uh, you want to go. Um, and it, it explains um, what, what to think about if you read that through and then some things to either do or touch or to think about. Um, as you go around. Um, so take your time. You can, again, you can do them in any order. Take your time. If you're online, we do have a link to that. So you can uh, go and you can read them. Obviously, you can't do them, but uh, you can read along with us. We're going to have some music playing. We're going to spend about 30 minutes. So take your time and let's um, enjoy these stations as we think about Jesus in the context of Evergreens. And then the band will come up and we'll 
continuous service. Thank you. So off you go.
Thank mm -hmm. you. 